Ezra, the third chapter, is where we're going to study from this morning. The title of our lesson is Building Up What Was Broken Down. And I know as we read, uh, Edwin did this morning from Ezra chapter 3. And good job doing that, Edwin, on short notice <laughs> and getting those names and so forth right. That's not always easy. And as we read down through that, and if you're not familiar really with the book of Ezra, you may have kind of been wondering, okay, what's going on here exactly? And we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of set the context uh, for that this morning as we, as we get into this study so that we can better understand what's taking place. And let me give you a little disqualifier in regards to the PowerPoint this morning. I do this on another computer, bring it, I put it on, on this computer, and some of the words are now overlapping. So that's a technical problem to be worked out later, but bear with me as that you know, you'll see them kind of run together there a little bit. So Gerald and I were discussing that, and so I'll work that out hopefully. Building up what was broken down. I read an article recently about military basic training. And uh, Hannah says that she's with the military, and so you can correct me if I get this wrong. And uh, I was going to say that to, uh, uh, to Matt this morning, if he was here, but he's not here this morning. But I read this article in regards to uh, basic training. And the article just simply stated that basic training is difficult intentionally. Because the purpose is to transform an individual from what they were at the beginning to what the military wants them to be by the time they reach the end. It went on to say, it is the military's intention to break a person down so that they can build them back up. The whole process involves stressful challenges and training and discipline, and emotional intellectual development. The process is difficult, but worth it because the individual at the end is better than they were at the beginning. As we take a look at Ezra chapter 3 this morning, I want you to think along those lines, because I believe that God, in developing his people, sometimes uses a process that is very similar to that. Or maybe the correct way to look at that would be <laughs> the military reflects... <laughs> a process that God has used in the past to develop people to be what he desires for them to be. So as we take a look at the context of Ezra chapter 3 this morning, I'll give you just a little bit of background there. In the first six chapters of the book of Ezra, this is the Jews that are now returning to their homeland. And as we talk about the Jews returning to their homeland, keep in mind, and we've talked about that history before, have we not? This is the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah had told them that they would go into Babylonian captivity and that they would be there 70 years. It's under King Cyrus that they are now being allowed to return. And Ezra records, Ezra, Nehemiah, records this bit of history for us as the Jews are once again returning to their homeland. Now, keep in mind also that as the Jews are returning, when Babylon had came against Judah and against the city of Jerusalem, they had destroyed it. 
They had destroyed the city. They had broken down the walls and they had destroyed the temple and left it in rubble. And now after 70 years, they are now being allowed to return. So you can kind of have in mind what they are returning to. Also keep in mind that the Jews previously had enjoyed a relationship with God. And previously in their heritage and in their history, they had been given the law and they had been given the priesthood and they had been given worship and they had been given a religion. They had been given feast days and celebrations and association with one another as they served God collectively as a people. They had enjoyed all of that in times past. But because of their apostasy, not being faithful to God, that had been taken away. In a sense, you could say that was broken down. Read the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> Read the book of Lamentations. And you'll see how that was broken down and taken away from them. Psalms 137th chapter is a reflection of that period of time. And in Psalms 137 and about verse 3, the psalmist makes reference to the time when they are in Babylon and they are sitting by the rivers of Babylon and it says that their captives required a song of them. In other words, your God? Your God is the one true God? Why don't you sing us a song about that? And they said, how can we? How can we sing in this land? They were broken down. That had been taken away from them. And it was because of their unfaithfulness. But now, now in Ezra 3, they're coming back. And in the latter part of chapter 2, we won't take time to read all of that, but in the latter part of chapter 2, the people are now, these groups that are coming back are anxious to return. And they're anxious to rebuild the temple. And they're anxious to set up the altar once again. And in the latter part of chapter 2, it says that they gave generously towards those efforts so that they might be able to do that. And so they wanted to restore and they wanted to rebuild what was broken down. Now keep in mind also, and we've, we've sort of studied this here recently too, that while they were in captivity, they tried to maintain a connection to God and an association with one another to a very limited extent. And it was during that period of time that we talked about that the synagogue sprang up. And so they would try to maintain and to teach the next generation about the God that they served and how they had been in a covenant relationship with him. But they couldn't go back to Jerusalem. They couldn't go back and celebrate all of those feast days and those special days that God had given them. They couldn't sacrifice like they had previously. And so the synagogue system was really just kind of a band-aid in an attempt to maintain the connection and their association with one another and to teach the next generation about their heritage. 
So in many ways, it was God disciplining them and breaking them down in captivity. But now they're going back to Judah. They're going back to Jerusalem. And so as they think about going home, you've also got to keep in mind, they're not just going home. They're returning to God. And the things that they had lost would now get a chance to restore and to replace it once again. And so God would lead them in reestablishing their connection and their relationship with him. So historically, physically, the Jews are returning to their homeland. But spiritually, they're returning to God. And they're going to rebuild the altar. And they're going to rebuild the temple. And eventually rebuild that city and its walls. But keep in mind, it's God who's really the builder here. They are just the instruments that he is using. So it's God at work in recreating them and renewing them and renewing their relationship and renewing their unity through their association and through their building and through their worship. What you've got to keep in mind also is this, is that as these Jews return, and God had told them previously that he would discipline them, and he did discipline them and, and sent them in, into captivity, allowed their enemies to overrun them and carry them off. What you got to keep in mind is, God did not want the same people returning as they were when they left. He wanted them to be changed. And he wanted them to be different. And so in Ezra chapter 3, what you're really seeing is God's process in rebuilding these people with the intent of making them what he desires for them to be. So first of all, what did God do? One of the first things you have to recognize is when God's attempt was to build them up again, there was going to be association with one another. And God was restoring them as they made this commitment to one another. In Ezra chapter 3, I guess I should get there. Ezra chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, When the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So in the very beginning, they were making a commitment to one another. And they were doing, as one Christian writer said, they were going to once again practice unity. You know, there's an old, sometimes referred to as restoration preacher. Many of you have heard of him, Alexander Campbell. <laughs> and in one of his books, he says, God never, in speaking about God's people, he said, God never intended for there to be any floating stars. <laughs> I talked to a person just recently and he said, you know, I think you can be a, be a Christian and, and not go to church. <laughs> so, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Alexander Campbell said, God never intended for there to be any floating stars. In other words, God never intended for people to become Christians and then just to be out there on their own. 
And so it was even in the Old Testament. God never intended for his people to just be out there on their own. He intended for them to be together. And that's what this Christian writer was making reference to. He said that from the very beginning, God intended them for what, them once again to practice unity and for them to be together and for them to be, have a common purpose. He went on to explain it this way. He said, union, union has affiliation with others, but no real common bond that makes them one in heart. Unanimity is agreement across the board, and uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. But unity is oneness in heart and one in purpose and oneness in the essentials of their faith. That's what Paul was talking about. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse five, in the bigger context, Ephesians talking about the church. When he said there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism. That's what these people need to understand. There's one Lord. There's one true God. And that's, we all focus on that same, that same one. And there's one faith. Just as God had given them a religion, he has given us a religion today. And Paul says, there's one baptism. So there's one Lord. There's one faith. And there's one baptism. being united in practice of that. That's what Paul's talking about. And that's what God desired for them to be, for them to be together, to associate with one another, and to have unity. And that through that, they would also come to have a sense of community. Them sharing as they serve the same God, practice the same faith, and they associated with one another, being guided by God's word. In verse 1, it says, they came together as one. In verse 2, it says, as it was written in the law. And in verse 4, it says, as it is written according to the ordinance. That's what helped to make them, helped to make them one. And so once again, they would have a sense of community and they would have a sense of purpose. And it would be God's word that would guide them. But it was important for them to be united along those lines. Because just like today, they were also going to face negative influences and negative attitudes towards them. Take a look at verse 3. It says, Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries... They set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. What Ezra is telling us is that even though these people had returned to their homeland, there was going to be challenges that they were going to face. If they were going to serve that one true God according to the faith and be united together, there would be challenges along those lines. And it's the same thing today. But it's that unity that would help him to face that. 
That's why Alexander Campbell said, God never intended for there to be any floating stars. I think sometimes as Christians, and certainly as that discussion I had with a fellow about a week ago, sometimes people fail to see the importance of us. Us. You know, a lot of times we quote Hebrews 10 and verse 25, do we not? Do you know it? <laughs> not forsaking the sin. You know that? <laughs> What's the context? The context is the book of Hebrews, and the Hebrew writer is writing to those who he is afraid are going to turn back because of the persecution that they follow, or that is following them. And so in Hebrews 10 and verse 24, he says, not or encouraging one another, Hebrews 10 and verse 20, I, I want to go there automatically, see? <laughs> encouraging, Hebrews 10 and verse 24, encouraging one another and provoking one another to love and good works. See what I'm saying? And then in verse 25, not forsaking the assembly. It's the encouragement that we receive when we're together. It's us. And that's important. And God knows that's important. Paul pointed to the importance of community and of us and of the church in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in about verses 11 through 16. I just want to read that to you quickly, and I want you to think about that along these lines. As you think about the church collectively together, the importance of us and what God has given us through the collectivity. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying. There's that building up. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love. I know Paul's talking universally about the church, but he's talking about those who share in a common faith and in serving God. Us is important. And that's what Paul was saying. So first of all, if we're going to be built up according to God's method, we need to have an association with God's people. But secondly, God builds us up through worship. Back to the book of Ezra once again. Ezra chapter 3, and uh, I want to read verse 2 and 3 this time. The Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the brethren of the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God of Israel to, burn, to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written of the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set up the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. 
God's people were being led once again in worshiping God. And so they set up the altar so that they might offer those burnt offerings morning and evening. And it was set up on the foundation of the old altar of Solomon's temple. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that was coincidence? Or do you think that was significant? It goes on to say that they offered those, they built that altar and they offered those sacrifices according to the specifications or ordinance set forth in the law. See what it's saying? Here's the altar that you might offer sacrifices unto God and it's done according to the law. See what's being recorded for us is this. This is what's going to make the reconnection. This is going to recognize God in their life. He's the one who gave us the altar. He's the one who gave us sacrifice. And we're going to do it according to his law. Take a look around. The temple is destroyed. Everything is lying in rubble. And the city is destroyed and the walls are broken down. And there are people and nations round about that do not like you and do not like you being back here. But we're going to do this according to the law. You know what had caused them to be carried away to captivity to begin with? <laughs> because they forgot the law. So if you're going to rebuild that relationship, you got to go back to the law because that's what God gave them. And so they went all the way back. And there's something else you need to think about here too. It had been almost 900 years ago that that law had been given. And they had enjoyed glory days in Israel. But they had also become arrogant and they had turned away from God. And God allowed them to be broken down. Because they forgot him. And now if they were to enjoy the relationship once again, if they were going to be built up, they had to come back to God and they had to come back to his law. And so they restore the altar. And they restore it according to the law because it points back to God. When the law had originally been given, after they had come out of Egyptian bondage. They spent a year at Sinai. And that's where God gave them the law. And then after the giving of the law, the nation of Israel, according to his tribes, were encamped according to what, through Moses, God had told them how to organize the camp. But in the center of the camp was the tabernacle. Your lives now revolve around me. That's what God was saying. And the tabernacle was in the center. And now they're setting up the altar. If your lives are going to be 
the way they're supposed to be. And the relationship between me and you is going to be the way it's supposed to be. It's got to once again be centered on me. That's what God was saying. Set up the altar according to the law. Very quickly, you remember when John, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle, was instructed by Jesus to write to the seven churches of Asia. And he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And he had some things that he praised them on, and there were some things that he was not pleased with them about. And one of the things that he was not pleased with them was, you've left your first love. See, that's what Ezra's saying. The reason why things are broken down it's because you left your first love. And if you want them to be right, and if you want to be built up again, you got to come home. You got to come back to your first love. So, one of the ways to be restored is by worshiping God. Once again, they can enjoy the feast days, once again, they could celebrate. And it goes on to say in verses 4 through 6, notice. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings and the number required by ordinance for each day. Feast of Tabernacles would recall when they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. Once again, they were being delivered from bondage. They needed to remember the blessings of having an association with God. So it's interesting to stop and ponder and to think about. In the midst of the ruins and under an open sky, they worship God. I think that's significant. And that's what they were to do first. Set up God's altar. And I think spiritually, essentially, what he's saying. Set up the altar, God's altar in your heart. And you'll be built up. So thirdly, this is where it kind of gets... <laughs> They're going to be restored and be built up. They'll be built up when they lay the foundation of God and I would say Christ in our lives. Ezra 3, verses 8 through 11. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel the son of Shatil, Jeshua the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests, the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and Camille with his sons and the sons of Judah arose as to one to oversee those working on the house of God. The sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, 
The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites to the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. Then they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Seven months after setting up the altar, the foundation of the temple is now being laid. And that's significant as you think about that. What was the temple previously? Yeah, we'd say, well, that was the place where they would go to worship. But more importantly, the temple was where God dwelt. The presence of Jehovah was there. And so the Levites, the priests, supervised and oversaw this work as the laborers went about laying the foundation. And so the question for us today is just very simply this. If the temple was where God dwelt, then how do we follow God's plan in rebuilding God's dwelling place in us today? Take a look at the gospel according to Matthew, the seventh chapter. They laid the foundation so that they might be able to build upon it. And that God once again could dwell among them. take a look at Matthew the 7th chapter at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7 beginning at verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was, it, was its fall. So what's the foundation for our lives? Because God today does not have some physical structure of the temple out here where he dwells. God dwells in the hearts of people. So what's the foundation that we build on? The foundation that we build on is God's word. And that's how we build our house. That's what Paul makes reference to in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to build a place for God to dwell, it's got to be based upon his word. You know, as you build and as you think about building, as we think about building individually our lives as Christians, as we think about building collectively as a group, what's going to help us move forward? The thing that's going to help us to move forward is to implement God's word individually in our lives and collectively as a group, is it not? That's the foundation. That's what we build upon. 
And if it's not growing individually, and if it's not growing collectively, and I'm not just talking about numbers, I'm talking about spiritually, okay? So that's how we want to make the application. If it's not growing, then it's probably because we're not implementing his word. If we're not growing individually, spiritually, it's probably because we're not implementing his word. Would you agree with that? I hope so. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration that I happened to come across. Familiar with the 13th Amendment? Maybe some of you are, maybe some of you aren't. The 13th Amendment is the amendment that was added to the Constitution in the months that followed the Civil War. As a nation, we had decided collectively to abolish slavery. As a country, collectively, this is the way that we would grow. This is the way that we would move forward collectively. Following Congress approving the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, and the Constitution is supposed to be the law that governs the land, a majority of the estates ratified it. But not all states accepted it. I won't tell you the state. <laughs> you can look it up. There's one state that did not ratify the 13th Amendment until 1995. Does that hold back the nation as a whole when one state refuses to submit to the Constitution that's supposed to govern us as a body? I believe it does. It says something. Does that hold back that individual state from moving forward? I believe it does. And that's what this is saying. If you want to build... If you want to move forward individually, collectively, then you have to build on God's Word. And so when the foundation was laid, that wasn't the end of the building. <laughs> that was the beginning of the building. But that's the foundation. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians also. That you can lay no other foundation other than that foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, if you hear my words and do them, that's how you build. And that's what Jesus wanted his people to do. And that's how we can build and move forward. But fourthly, God builds us up when we look to the future with his grace. Because of our time, I'm not going to read that again. But in Ezra chapter 3, in verses 10 through 13, that when that foundation was laid, it said that some of them shouted with joy. And there were some of them who wept. Why is that? Got to remember, 70 years had passed since they had gone into captivity. 
if there were any that were there who had survived that entire 70 years, they had to have gone into captivity when they were very young, endured that entire 70 years, and now they are returning home and they're old. <laughs> and that's what it's recorded for us. That as they viewed that foundation, they wept. Because the foundation that was now laid did not match the glory of the temple they had known when Solomon built that temple and when Israel was at its height. And so they looked back, and they remembered, and they wept. But there were some who were there who shouted with joy, the younger ones, because being in captivity for 70 years, there were children who were born in captivity and grew up in captivity, and all they knew was what had been told them about the glory of their God and of Israel in days gone by. They had heard the stories about what God had done for their nation and their people. They had heard the stories about how Israel at once had had its glory days under Saul and David and Solomon. And so now the foundation is laid, and they shout with joy. It's enthusiasm. It's zeal. The glory days are coming back. There's a couple of dangers as you take a look at that. Individually, collectively, they could be hindered by the past. People could cling to the past and say, oh, those were the glory days, but those are gone. It's never coming back. You ever heard that kind of thing? They could also look at the challenges of the future and say, I don't think we can do it. And so they could be hindered by the past, and they could be discouraged, and they could discourage others. If they needed to trust God because God had allowed them to return. Paul spoke about that same type of thing over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. Listen to what he says. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Couldn't that same thing have been said to them then? God is faithful. And he has allowed you to come back. So now trust in him and build according to the law. When you take a look at the bigger picture, 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the problems was that they were divided. And Paul was encouraging them not to be divided, but rather to work together. And he said, God is faithful. It's in that same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, Apollos watered, or I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Trust God. You do your part. He'll do his. Then at the same time, there's the young people who saw the foundation laid. And they were enthusiastic and they shouted with joy, with zeal. But sometimes zeal can outrun knowledge and experience. So they had to see the danger of that also. 
the older people, they needed the enthusiasm and the zeal of the younger people. And the younger people, they needed the wisdom and the experience of, of the old people. Young people, when you get ready to go start building for God, make sure you build according to the law. See, because we forgot. <laughs> and look what it got us. <laughs> and you old people, <laughs> you need to see the enthusiasm of the younger ones and have the zeal to build. build. So, Ezra chapter 3 is really the story of a new beginning. Sometimes individuals, sometimes just churches collectively need a new beginning. Ezra 3 really shows how God leads us in building and in new beginnings. Ezra 3 shows how God builds us up out of the rubble of the past. God desires for us to commit to each other, commit to worship him, commit to putting the past behind, and commit to lay the foundation of Christ in your life. And that's what you can build upon. God wants to build us up. But as they built, they had to build according to the ordinance of the law. I'm going to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. I do not, may not know the particular situation that you are in in your spiritual relationship with God. But we remind you, it was Jesus himself that said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so we just ask you, are you building on the foundation of the Lord's word? Would you do what he has asked you to do? And as a child of God, if you've forgotten and you need to come back, John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Put the past behind you. He'll welcome you home. And you can start to build again from there. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.